0: This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them.
1: And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales with Rob and Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob and we're doing it
0: uh, slightly differently this week, aren't we Rob? Because I'm not sitting opposite you in sunny Blackburn South. I'm actually sitting in my own place and doing this via Skype. The reason why we do this today, it's especially interesting, is because we have an overseas guest. This is our first overseas guest on our podcast. We're very excited about this. We're talking to an old friend of ours from the United States, Mr. Rick Mainz, and he's coming in from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I'm not even sure what time it is there. So first off, welcome, Rick.
2: Oh, welcome, Rob and Mob. It's great to be on the show. Fantastic. And it's,
0: it's just wonderful to hear you there. It, it does sound like you're just sitting on the opposite side of the table. It's oh, incredible. I,
2: I wish that were the case. But it's, <laughs> it's it's nine at night here, so a mere 14 hours and uh, you know, spread over a day's difference.
0: Okay, so it's the 6th of April uh, where you are, Rick. It's the 7th of April here. And this is actually a pretty interesting time in the American Civil War 150 years ago, isn't it? All sorts of things are about to happen over the next week or so. This is the month where it all ends, Mob. Well, it all ends for just about everyone except the crew of the CSS (laughs) Genitoa.
2: There's always one group that's slow on the uptake. (laughs) So, so It's amazing how so many things happen so quickly in April.
0: Yeah, uh, probably the biggest one would be uh, the surrender of of General Lee, and that, that happens at, uh, and I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly, Appomattox Courthouse, doesn't
2: it? Oh, yes, it does. Yeah, it's it's one of the great things you can see in the United States. It's still there, and you can actually take a little tour of the place, and it's one of the many places I've been on my Civil War uh, tour of the United States.
0: Oh,
1: yeah, now that's something that we'd uh, love to talk about. So, so So how many Civil War battlefields have you been to, Rick?
2: Well, the, the cliché is, well, how many are there? Uh, but, but, no, I growing up, uh, my parents, we took a lot of car rides over the years, and it's one of the great things you can do in the United States is hop on the interstate and drive long distances and see loads of things. And so I've probably seen 50, 60 Civil War battlefields, battle sites, ranging from all the biggies such as uh, Richmond, Shiloh, Antietam, And then, of course, uh, Gettysburg, Sharpsburg, Fredericksburg, Vicksburg, all the different bergs.
1: All the different bergs. Well, of course, the Shenandoah of course, uh, saw lots of bergs too, except uh, they were icebergs. (laughs) Boom, tish. Oh, dear. I'd I'd say I'll get my hat and go home, except um, I'm already home and I don't have a
2: hat. But uh, yes. Oh, that's all right. I'm not wearing (laughs) a hat (laughs) either, so it's no trouble at all.
0: I've I've been to uh, a couple of Civil War sites when I've when I've been over to the US. I, w- I went to Manassas mm-hmm. or uh, the site Bull of Run. the Battle of Bull Run. Yeah, just first uh, and second. First and second. Uh, did they take place on exactly the same ground? Pretty close. Yeah, with a, a few years apart, didn't they? Yes. And both of them fairly huma- humiliating spectacles for
1: the Union, I, I believe. Well, I was just got to say, I think. I think Bull Run was um, even more of a humiliating spectacle because uh, a whole lot of people came out from, out from town to, to witness a victory, and instead it turned into a big defeat.
2: A big rout where a lot of people and their horses and carriages were watching what they thought was going to be a pleasant spectacle, and all of a sudden, you know, thousands of soldiers were running away, fleeing the battlefield, and a lot of people got caught up in all the chaos
1: it's funny how um war as a spectator sport doesn't seem to have outlived the 19th century basically um yeah we we stopped thinking that going and seeing the battle was a fun thing to do about about 1900.
2: well the carnage was a lot more localized back then they didn't have whole great big fronts with um you know ongoing bombardment planes shelling everything you know bombing everything so certainly a different time But I know when you mentioned just a few minutes ago, Mob, about Appomattox Courthouse, one of the big uh, surrenders of the Civil War. And then, of course, you also mentioned Bull Run. Of course, the gentleman who owned farmland at Bull Run was the gentleman who also basically owned the land where Appomattox Courthouse was. So we got to see the start and end of basically the (laughs) Civil War. The
0: the, the, the American Civil War seems to be full of... uh, Interesting stories like this. My understanding of that guy is, he was really annoyed that his uh, farmhouse was uh, severely damaged in mm-hmm. the battle, so he moved somewhere as far away, away and remote as he could find in Ahabat's courthouse, <laughs> only to have the surrender happen in his living room. I believe
2: it's it's like it, it's, it's not quite as bad as moving from Hiroshima to Nagasaki, but yeah, it 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 has a you know a certain you know not irony and not getting out of the way
0: yeah i was i was really impressed when i went there that uh, the the national it's the national park service isn't it mm-hmm. I think that runs these these battlefields
2: most of them the yes. uh,
0: the interpretive displays and uh presentations and the guides and everything i was just amazing I, I was i was very impressed i would i'd love it if we had similar sorts of things here but we've never had a civil war so we don't have too many battlefields to visit in Australia. <laughs>
2: Well, it, it's, it's certainly a, a great way to see a good part of the eastern United States, certainly, since, I mean, while there was some action further out west, the, you know, the vast majority of the action was east of the Mississippi. And, you know, speaking of those dioramas, the, the most epic one, of course, is at Gettysburg, which they've just redone. My, my son went and saw it just this last fall. And it's one uh-huh. of these classic, you know, different parts of it light up, and it has little flashing lights showing which way the troops are moving, and, oh, you know, it things the size of, you know, like, it's, I don't know how many meters by how many meters. I'm not so good with translating that. But it's just a huge diorama that they have a whole, almost like amphitheater around.
0: Wow. Yeah, I'd love to go and see that one day. So, Rick, you uh, you went and did a a very um, typical thing that people will do as a as a holiday experience, and go and visit these battlefields with your, with your parents on the holidays. Is, have you done the same sort of thing with your own kids?
2: Starting to. But, you know, so we, we, of course, because my family's, you know, my wife and uh, children are all English, at least are dual nationals now, our, our big trips tend to be back over to England, and so Civil War battlefields are very different over there. But England did have the good or bad fortune to have its own Civil War, so... We've actually been to more Civil War battlefields over there than we have in the United States. Uh-huh. But no, I, I want to do that more with my children now that they're of an age where I think they can appreciate the history behind it. Because it's one of the things I'm glad my parents did with me is that we really didn't start visiting historical sites until I was about 9 or 10 years old, which is what mm-hmm. my youngest now is. And so I it, it allowed me to appreciate them, not just get dragged around saying, oh, look at this, you know, grass-covered hill. Can you believe X happened here, 125 or less years, of course, when I was visiting these <laughs> things. It wasn't quite the 150th anniversary like it is now, but this was back in the 70s and 80s. And so I I, I enjoyed it. My, you know, my father has a large Civil War library, and he would always have a few of the books in the car, and he'd always be happy to, you know, read up a little bit ahead of the time with me about what we were going to see and that really gave me a a much better appreciation um uh,
1: now now one of of the things that that we don't really get any sense of uh over here in australia because in australia i have to say american civil war history is the nichest of niche interests and um -hmm. and a a lot of it involves around the the visit of the shenandoah which is the only real um, contact that uh Australia had with a civil war, so the one hundred fiftieth anniversary has it actually been in any way a, a big thing? I, I kind of get the impression that it's it's been more the the seventieth anniversary of the Second World War, and of course the hundredth anniversary of the First World War that's um, kind of taken well, over a bit. It,
2: well, it's actually even a little bit more than that because right now we just are we just wrapped up the two hundredth anniversary of the War of eighteen twelve. <laughs> And so last year was the Battle of New Orleans year kind of thing. Oh, so, wow. Uh, you know, with Andrew Jackson and then the Battle of Lake Erie, which happened up near us, and Perry's Monument. And so we had a lot of 200th anniversary of War of 1812 just wrap up. And as you said, we're just now, you know, America's not quite at their 100th anniversary of their involvement in World War One just yet. That doesn't really get underway till 1917, 2017. So we're not quite there yet since we're a little late comers to the uh, First World War and then as you said you know the seventy seventy-fifth anniversaries are gearing up for world war two right now so a lot of memorials like that but i i think that the the commemoration of the civil war has always been the largest because we had a veterans organization for the union called the grand army of the republic or gar for short and they had the equivalent with the sons of the confederacy and their veterans organizations and for decades after the Civil War ended, they would get together every 10, 15, 20 years, up until the 1930s, really. And the last one, the last big gathering, the last big remembrance of the Civil War with you know people that were actually fought in it, was in 1938, which wow. you know, for my grandparents' generation, the 75th anniversary of Gettysburg, they actually reenacted Pickett's Charge one last time. And... Uh, for me, it's an extra special thing because being a scoutmaster and a longtime Boy Scout, the Boy Scouts have always been volunteers at these veterans' events, you know, being runners and helping with cooking and the campsites and all that, because the veterans would always camp at these places. And so, yeah, the 75th anniversary of Gettysburg was the last great gathering of the few remaining veterans, all being 95, 100 years old
0: yeah the pickets' charge must have been uh a lot slower when they reenacted it
2: in that last one. yeah, it wasn't so much of a charge and it was you know how quickly could the wheelchairs and the you know the Zimmer frames and the walkers and that but it, it obviously you know we only read about it now, but they do have some YouTube videos of some of that footage. Well, because it was um, in the 1930s
1: well they, they also I, I remember i saw a newsreel of the 60th anniversary which so would have been in in the in the 1920s and and some of the veterans were then still still quite spry so they would have been yes. in, their, in their late 70s early 80s so mm-hmm. that was more of a and a couple of them were demonstrating how they could still run up run up the uh the mm-hmm. hill and, and do a bit of pickets charging um the, the... um so it, it is amazing, and, and one of the things that this whole process of um, of investigating the Shenandoah has, has really surprised me is that a, a hundred and fifty years. It isn't all that long. It, it's still, in some ways, history that people still feel feel very, very deeply about. And, and I wonder mm-hmm. just how, how long that will go on because I, I guess it's certainly in Ireland that there's still you know terrible memories of Oliver Cromwell, you know, um, who was in, in in the the English Civil War. But um, it certainly does still seem to be a living thing.
2: Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, I still get called a Yankee when I go down south. <laughs> that's just, that's just a general term for anybody from up north. You know, they're they're happy to have our Yankee dollars, as they say, but. Uh, that that's about the end of it. Uh, you know, some people have long memories. Although I, I think it's more just a, a poise where they're almost ex- a pose where they're almost expected to act that way around uh, Northerners. You know, most of them call it the Civil War now. They don't call it the War of Northern Aggression or things like that. They're all very hospitable and welcoming. And everywhere I I went down south, it was all just commemorating the war. I, I didn't feel any grudges and things like that. Maybe it wasn't that way seventy five years ago or a hundred years ago, but you know people have largely moved on and they just and, you know Americans have a love of history especially their own history at least a portion of them do
0: it, it it that seemed very clear to me when i was there visiting uh washington dc and 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 the surrounds around there i think uh that's done remarkably well uh, and not just with the Civil War, but uh, pretty much anything that they can commemorate historically, uh, you know, with the Smithsonian and the various memorials and things in in Washington T. O., D C. I was I was very impressed. I also oh, went definitely. to uh, Arlington as well, which was, of course, Robert E Lee's uh, family home before the the Civil War.
2: Yeah, yeah, confiscated, so to speak, uh, for the cause, and then turned into the. The most epic uh, and also touching National Cemetery I've ever been to you can't help but be moved when you walk around it I mean they have presidents buried there like President Kennedy with his eternal flame and then they have just the tomb of the unknown soldier which is you know constantly guarded by people who have obviously spent months practicing every step every turn every click of the rifle every tip of the cap everything uh, where you know it's almost like you know you hear about at uh, the Tower of London how the bee feeders you can't distract them and you can't you know you can stand up next to them and take a picture and they're not even you know noticing you there. It's I probably double that at Arlington with the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier.
0: Mm, I, the other thing I was impressed about Arlington is the fact that the 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 burial sites the the graves they go right up to the the mansion's door just about don't they? I mean
2: yeah. Well, it's, it's totally full up, basically. They're putting graves in between graves now, and it's uh, it's, it's really become quite the squeeze, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. I, it, was a, it was a very moving sight to go and visit.
2: Well, it's just, you know, you were saying a little bit earlier about how this time in April in the United States, and you know, I really want to hear more about the Shandot as well, but... You know, this is the most exciting two weeks of the end of the Civil War because you've got Richmond falling on April uh, 3rd. You've got Lincoln then coming and visiting Richmond. Since it was so close to Washington, D.C., he was able to get there within a matter of hours to visit it on April 4th, the very next day after it fell. And then Robert E. Lee surrenders at Appomattox, you know, five days later. And then Lincoln's assassinated five days after that.
0: Oh, he he has his trip and to so the theater. Just...
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, Ford's Theater.
0: So this is all. This is really all happening just in this uh, this very short amount of time.
2: Mm-hmm. I remembered a lot of these things because I recently read a book called *Killing Lincoln*, which uh, it it only came out a few years ago, and it basically is the last months of the war leading up to his assassination. Mm-hmm. and i it just it just amazed me how much was crammed into that short amount of time with the destruction of lee 's army of Virginia, and as I said, you know just the events of Richmond falling and then Lincoln visiting Richmond and giving a very famous speech there, and then him going back and then there 's lee 's surrender and then the you know it, it's just amazing how the, the war went on so quickly, but then you can have on the other side of the world, basically, a uh, Confederate raider, the Shenandoah, which I, I, I must confess, I, I didn't know much about the ship at all, and I, I'm rather uh, embarrassed, personally, because I've been to Melbourne four times now, <laughs> and, I, and I didn't go down to the dock, didn't know there was a Civil War connection all those type of things where i'm kicking myself now where next time i visit i'm definitely going to have to have one or both of you go on down there with me and show me you know where the the slip and all that was i i'm sure there's not too much there maybe a plaque or something these days
0: yeah um it's 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 only been uh very recently that this interest has arisen and things like plaques and so on have have been put in Rob and i went to the 150th uh Commemorations, which were really exciting, and uh, it pointed out some of the places where the Shenandoah had, had been. Interestingly, occupying the slip where the Shenandoah was pulled out of the water is now a great big uh, shipyard where they're building the current uh, uh, helicopter carrier for the Australian Navy. So mm-hmm. there is
1: still a, a naval connection that's going on. Did you have something else to add about that, Rob? Well, um, it's, it's just that uh, look, Williamstown, you, you must come next time you're in Melbourne, because Williamstown is a historic suburb, so there's still quite a lot of buildings uh, dating from, mm-hmm. um, from, from when the, the Shenandoah was there. And um, it's, it's not just historic town, it's also uh, very upmarket and chee uh, and chi so there's also a lot of um, uh, bars and restaurants and places to enjoy your historical ramble. So, uh, so Williamstown is, is, is an excellent place to visit. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So we'll definitely do that when you're here next time, Rick, because uh, we've got one Civil War site to show you, so we might as well do that <laughs> if we can. Yeah,
2: but It's an interesting one, that's for sure. Mm. And uh, likewise, if you, if you come over this way, happy to show you around.
0: That'd be great. So the other place we'd love to go would be to go to Ponope, because the Shenandoah touched there as well. That's now in the Federated States of Micronesia. And uh, back then it was known as the Caroline Islands. As we talked last week, it was named after the King of Spain, Charles, the final Charles of the Habsburgs. And we had a, a long disquisition last week about uh, the, the inbreeding in the Habsburgs that led to that. Um, after that, they head off to uh, the, um, to Alaska to capture the, the whaling fleet. Now, interestingly... We've had something else happen this week that has some parallels to that. 150 years later, what's happening
1: just off the coast of West Africa, Rob? Well, um, the uh, the I think uh, the Bob Barker, one of the one of the Sea Shepherd fleet. Um, has been following a an illegal poaching vessel um, poaching, I believe, the Patagonian toothfish, and they've been on a slow speed chase of that uh, of that uh, ship for for some months, I believe. And uh, the new and uh, the news was announced uh, via Facebook, as as these things are these days, um, that the um, the illegal poaching vessel had in fact scuttled itself. Um, presumably to get rid of all of the evidence of presumably the Patagonian toothfish on board because it was probably getting a bit late to throw them overboard, people would have noticed. So they, they actually sunk themselves. So um, uh, the, the Sea Shepherd has you know, quite sometimes been compared to, um, uh, to the Shenandoah in some ways and uh, they, they finally got them, they, they, they've got themselves a-sinking uh, even though they're, they're the people that they were ch- chasing uh, sunk themselves.
0: Yeah, the ship was called the Thunder and had been illegally operating in uh, these waters off Antarctica for many years. And the Sea Shepherd had been following it. They hauled in 25 kilometres of uh, the ship's nets so that they were unable to catch the toothfish this year. And then they started following the Thunder and they've ended up way off the coast of uh, West Africa. So it's been an amazing thing to follow on Facebook. We've been following uh, the exploits of this, this journey and seeing where it's ended. Interestingly, now the crew of the Thunder have been taken on board the Bob Barker and they're being well looked after. They're, they're being fed vegan meals.
1: Oh, well, uh, it's not Christmas, so they won't be getting tofurkey.
2: <laughs> well, I don't... I don't know where the name of that ship came from the Bob Barker but he's a he's a very well known game show host over here in the United States.
1: I, I believe it is the same Bob Barker um, and I believe he gave a considerable amount of money to the Sea Shepherd organization because they also have uh, the Bridget Bardot which is at one point was going to be the Waddell but Bridget Bardot came in with some money. Uh, the Sam Sam Simon, Simon um, the, the guy who was one of the co-creators of the Simpsons and of course the Steve Irwin because uh, Steve was um the crocodile hunter was about to join um uh the sea shepherd um organization on one of their their anti-whaling trips uh when he was unfortunately killed um by a um stingray by a stingray um so yes so basically all of all of the ships of of that fleet are named after donors who gave quite large amounts of money so i think bob barker yes he hosted the price is right i believe yes Yes, well, the price must have been right for him because he was able to buy a ship with, with what he got.
2: <laughs> very true.
1: So the very Sea Shepherd
0: true. is very much uh, a, a modern analogy of what uh, Captain Waddell and his crew are about to sail off and do up in the, the Alaskan waters. Before that, in Pohnpei, they do come across some whalers, and we'll go into some detail about that next week, and, and hopefully, Rob, next week we have uh, another guest from the United States will be speaking to. And that's uh, someone we met at the conference about the Shenandoah um, when the commemoration was held in here in Melbourne. That was held in Williamstown, yep. And uh, he'd given a talk about the Battle of Ponape as it was described. So we're, we're hoping to have a chat with uh, with him
2: next week. Fantastic. Yeah, I look forward to hearing another podcast. Yeah, that's,
0: that's, that's Justin Vance, and he's currently based in Hawaii. Yeah, we're we, we really excited that we're able to talk to uh, our listeners from, from overseas. We're really pleased to have had you on board, Rick, and maybe we'd like to have you back uh, at a later time, because we're just about out of uh, time in
2: this week's episode, and we haven't even scratched the surface well, I know I, I definitely want to talk about the CSS Alabama. Oh so yes, yes. No. I hope I, I hope I can get invited back again, and we can go through, you know, my favorite commerce raider of the Civil War. I
1: I, I have to say, I, I think the Alabama had a had a story history, and it did very well. But I think I think surviving the war, you get double points for. So so that is why. Uh, Why well, the Shenandoah uh, will, will always will always be number one in my heart because it was the it was the last flag down. So um,
2: well, yeah. it, it it has a special place in history. There's no doubt about that. Although uh, in the war, more like uh, off to the side of the war, but yeah. uh, still, it's it's a fantastic tale.
1: Well, yeah, uh, you, you can say that the Ala- the Alabama was 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 taking its victories when 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 victory was still in the balance. So you can you can certainly mm-hmm. say that. Mm. Mm. Oh yeah, you you can't really say that about the ship. Unfortunately,
2: <laughs> well, I know since we don't have a lot of time, and I just uh, what people's appetites possibly the future. You know, one of, one of my favorite things about the Alabama is that you know they've been doing the diving off of the French coast near Cherbourg to bring up some of the artifacts when they you know knew where the Alabama mm-hmm. was, and of course they not too long ago recovered the ship's bell which has my favorite ship's motto on it. I think it applies to the Shenandoah a little bit as well because the motto of the Alabama was, God helps those who help themselves.
0: <laughs> that is a ripper one for a, a, a ship that has been described by some as a pirate. That That's wonderful. Well, Rick, we, we really appreciate you coming on uh, this week. We'd love to have you back to do the pound-for-pound pound comparison with uh, the Alabama. Um, it doesn't, I, I don't think they're ever going to find uh, where the Shenandoah is at rest, sadly. I think it's at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean somewhere, and we can talk more about that later too. Mm-hmm. But yes, we, we'd love to have you back. We've got a long stretch in the, uh, the, final, the final weeks of the Shenandoah's journey when it goes back towards, uh, towards London when they really know that things are things are over so maybe we'd like to have you back on then Alrighty,
2: righty look forward to it oh and let Excellent. me let me know when it gets back to Alaska as well that's another place <laughs> I've been fortunate enough to visit and
1: uh... oh we we marked that one then down don't we Rob uh, absolutely absolutely I, I think a, a bit unfortunately but um, uh, they didn't land in Alaska um, and the bit of Alaska they actually visited—it it wasn't anywhere near Anchorage or, or any major town. So I don't know that there's going to be any great commemorations um, actually at the um, uh, at, 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 you know, in Alaska where the where the Shenandoah was was visiting. But I um, doubt it. But uh, now, now before before we wind up, um, now Rick, are, are you the, are you the Rick who who left the uh, the comment on our website about? Um, the CSS Shenandoah purchased by the first Sultan of Zanzibar. Are you that, Rick?
2: Yes, I am that Rick.
1: Well, well, it's it's good to it's good to give a shout out to a listener who's who's also a uh, a guest, uh, and that's a first. But um, yes, Rick left a comment on our website, and uh, again, people, please be free to feel very free to like us on Facebook or leave a comment on our website and and then like us on Facebook again because we like the likes. But um, so the CSS Shenandoah was purchased by the first Sultan of Zanzibar from the U.S. government, and he named it L. El-Mahidi... El-Majid, or Majidi. Majidi, El-Majidi,
2: and he named it... After himself.
1: After himself, because it's good to be the king. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Especially a king who helps himself.
2: Yes. Yeah, I, I, I just found that a little bit ironic because, you know, the Confederacy is largely directly associated, you know, with slavery. Yes. And, you know, the, the Sultan of Zanzibar was a big proponent and uh, instigator of slavery in his own country.
1: It, it, it's very resonant, isn't it? Yes, yes. But, um, anyway, and, and, uh, Zanzibar
0: was, uh, Part of the Sultanate of Oman, they they split split apart. And uh, Rob, later on when we uh, we can talk about this
1: later, Rob has actually been to Oman, haven't you? Oh, I went with you, Michael. Yes, we we, we, you we did had, indeed. We had a very authentic five star brunch. We did <laughs> in, very authentic air quotes, as it, but it, it was a very nice brunch. Actually, it was a very authentic five star hotel five star brunch. So, um, but. Uh, but we, we went to the Sukh you know, Oman, and it was a lovely place. But I, I believe you tell me you told me that they they banned slavery somewhat recently. Uh, 1970, it was finally abolished in, in Oman. Yes. <laughs> so yes, um, th- there was certainly some resonance that the uh, the Sultan of Zanzibar took over that took over the Shenandoah. And uh, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if the the wreck of the Shenandoah was ever found? But uh, sadly, I suspect uh, that that will not be the case. Um, but um, anyway, look, I, I think we, we are going to have to finish. And, and Rick, we'd, we'd, we'd love to have you back on. Um, but uh, for now, uh, let me just say that this has been a Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales with Rob Mob and this week Rick. And thank you very much for listening.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me, guys. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you, Rick, and tally ho.
2: <clears throat> Ahoy.